0: But there in Revelation chapter 20, I'm just going to read, beginning at verse 1, and read down there several verses, and then we'll stop. But the Apostle John wrote here, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. That's the first time it's mentioned in this chapter, a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years. That's the second time that number showed up. Till a thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed a little season. So he goes into the bottomless pit at the beginning of the thousand years and then at the end of the thousand years he's loosed and he's let loose For just a little season. And I saw thrones. Plural. And they. Sat upon them. Plural. And judgment was given unto them. Plural. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded. For the witness of Jesus. And for the word of God. and Which had not worshipped the beast. Neither his image. Neither had received his mark. Upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That's the description of tribulation saints. There we see that number again, a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Notice verse 6 as well. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death hath no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So we call this the thousand year reign, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now you see how many times we saw that number in there. And the Bible says that they're going to reign with him a specific amount of time. And so uh, if you will compare that with 2 Peter 3. I know we're covering familiar ground. We've been here before, but uh, repetition is the mother of learning, I think is the old saying. And so 2 Peter 3, verse 8 and 9. Notice what it says there. What you have there is you have The Lord uh, describing a a day is as a thousand years. Notice that in verse 8. And Peter says, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. So he's really trying to emphasize this. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day day. So what you have in the Bible is you have a prophetic system of millennial days. One day is as a thousand years with the Lord. So the Lord's counting in time, one day as a thousand years. In other words, you have a millennial day. And so all of God's dealings and his current program can be broken up into seven millennial days. You see, one day of a thousand years. The second day of a thousand years. After 2,000 years of human history, Abraham shows up. Then you have the third day of of, uh, millennial prophecy, the the fourth prophetic day. And then after 4,000 years of human history, Jesus Christ shows up with his earthly ministry and his death for our sins and his crucifixion. And there you are after 4,000 years, or four uh, prophetic days. And this is based on the number 7. So we won't look at it, but if you were to study Leviticus 23 and uh, Leviticus 25, what you'll find there is this system of 7s is just over and over again. God is repeating this system of 7s. And what, it, what ends up happening is you have six days that God worked and created. And then God rested on the seventh day. So the seventh day is a Sabbath. It's a rest. And what you have in human history is you have 6,000 years of sin and death and war and depravity and disease and sorrow six years of it, and then we are going to experience the seventh, the Sabbath rest of the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. So in Leviticus 23 and 25, you'll find things such as this. You'll find seven weeks from the Feast of fruits and then the Feast of Pentecost, you'll find seven weeks there. And then you'll find six months from the Passover And then comes the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. All of those come in the seventh month. And then you'll find six years, and then a year of rest, uh, as prescribed to the Jews. And then the seventh year is a Sabbath year of rest. And then you'll you'll find seven Sabbath years until the Jubilee comes. So you'll have... Six years and then a seventh year of rest. Six years and then a seventh year of rest, and you'll have seven of those Sabbath years of rest. And then comes the year of the jubilee, where you know the uh, servants are set free, and so on. Uh, if you if you sold your land to somebody, then you get it back at the jubilee, and um, and that's the picture that you find. In the Bible as you study those things. And there's a reason why we see those things. God is teaching us something. So seven is God's number of completion. And do you know what modern day scholars say about Revelation 20 and the thousand years? They say that that is simply... simply, It's a round number of completion. And they say it's not literal. Not a literal 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ. Uh, God never intended that to be taken literally. God intended us just to understand that it's a round number and it's a number of completion. Meaning that what God does is complete and perfect. And that, of course, is just utter nonsense. Just nonsense. Anyone with a 5th grade education could read Revelation chapter 20 and see that in there over and over and over again and say, Well, God must think that's really important if he's telling us over and over again. Yeah, and a thousand years means what? A thousand years, right? You know, what God expects us to do? He expects us to stay in the goo-goo stage with Jesus and with the Bible. In other words, like what my first pastor told me, Pastor Walter Yeager of Zanesville, Ohio, he says, I've been studying this Bible for I forget how many years he studied the Bible, but for somewhere around 50 years. And he said, I still open up this book and I say, Lord, I'm just a child. Will you teach me something today? And that's the way you approach this book. And you read it literally, and unless it cannot be taken literally. You read it literally. And then when it cannot be taken literally, then we understand that it's talking about uh, figurative type speech. And so that's what you have for modern-day scholarship. That's what you'll get with them. And that is, of course, nonsense. Now, Isaac Watts, you may be familiar with his name. He died in 1748. He's best known for his hymns. Hymns such as, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause, or blush to speak his name? He also wrote, When I survey the wondrous cross, on which... The Prince of Glory Died. He wrote that hymn. He wrote, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? He wrote the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, and on and on it goes. Um, He was a a brilliant man. At the age of six, he was writing brilliant poetry. Uh, But he's not only a, a great hymn writer... It's it's less known that he was a theologian. He was uh, he was some kind of an author. He had they say all of his works today have to be collected into six volumes, and he wrote an essay entitled "The Harmony of All the Religions Which God Ever Prescribed to Men and All His Dispensations Toward Them." It's a catchy title, ain't it? Book titles today are really short. Back then they were really long. But he said it's a harmony of God's dispensations toward them. So he was a dispensationalist like us in a lot of ways. As a matter of fact, the, the uh, outline that he had is exactly the same as Schofield's outline. Except he did not see a literal millennial kingdom. You know why he didn't? Because he came out of the Church of England. He was a separatist from the Church of England. And the Church of England was basically an English, Anglicized Roman Catholic Church. It, just, it was a Catholic Church without the Pope. So they had all that same theology. And when they looked at the Bible, when they looked at the Bible, Adam and Eve is not real. Jonah and the whale, it's not real. Uh, the book of Revelation, that's, that's all been uh, fulfilled in the past. And uh, you know why they look at the Bible that way? Because you have a bunch of lost people Putting together the Bible. And you have, it goes back to Augustine, and there's a a lot to that. Augustine is not a hero, but a lot of people treat him like he is. But it goes back to him, and it goes back to uh, a school of uh, thought that came from Alexandria. And I don't want to go into it, I would probably bore you with it. But there are people today who find things, and they find writings and entire scrolls, and they say, this is from the, the school of Alexandria, and they get so excited about it. You know, this, is, this is all the way back there. And that school of Alexandria was corrupt. It was based on philosophy. It was not based on revelation that comes from God. They did not believe in the inspired, preserved, perfect word of God. It was a place of apostasy. And you have a Christianity that came out of Alexandria, Egypt, that was corrupt. It's, it's the devil's stream. And then you have a true Christianity that came out of Antioch, of Syria. We're studying about that in, on Wednesday night. And that's the true stream of Bible believers. The Bibles that come from Antioch are the pure Word of God. The Bibles that come from Alexandria are perversions and are corrupted. Fast forward to to today. The King James Bible comes from the Antiochian stream, Byzantine text. The NIV comes from the library in the Vatican. It's Alexandrian. It's corrupt. And that's what the NIV is based on, the NASB, the NLT, the ESV, and on and on and on you go. Where it stops, nobody knows. They have a Queen James Bible, I guess, now. and Yeah, it's just terrible. Yep, it's a big money-making racket. And so you have a lot going on in Christianity, but I, I say all that to say this. Isaac Watts was a brilliant man, and he saw in the Bible what we see. Okay? He, he saw the dispensations, but he just didn't see that kingdom. Because for them, the kingdom wasn't literal. It's not a, it's not a future period of time. For them, the kingdom is in heaven right now. And uh, they get some things right, but they get that wrong. And so that's what we're looking at tonight. And I tell you that just to tell you this. that uh, you, know, you ought to know a little bit about what you believe. And know that there are people who would disagree with you. But we, today, in the current day, we are very much in the majority. Okay? Very much in the majority. So, um, let's turn to Luke chapter 1 real quick. Luke chapter 1. What we have to do is we have to finish up with the millennial uh, reign of Christ, which the Bible doesn't say that much about. Um, So, it's not going to be a real long study. But we're going to finish up with that. And then we're going to look at eternity future. And then that will be the end of our study. On Wednesday night. And then we'll go to a different subject. But Luke chapter 1. And verse 28. Now what we're looking at here is this is a literal kingdom that's prophesied. A, litical, a literal political physical kingdom. Jesus will sit upon a throne on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. I stood and I looked at the place that they call Mount Zion. And I thought about that. Right now it's, it's just it's a wall going down one side of, of the old city of Jerusalem. And uh, just a, a huge stone wall. And they said right there, that's Mount Zion geographically. And I just thought, one day, Jesus is going to be reigning right there. It's just amazing to think about, but, but it's so. It's so. And so, in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, it's actually the, the gate where the paratroopers entered into Jerusalem during that six-day war. But uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 28, and it says here, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail! Thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Now we understand the angel's talking about future things. And it wouldn't be long for Mary would have a baby. And then he says, And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Future. Shall give unto him. Future. Okay? So what you have is you have the kingdom that was prophesied in the Old Testament. It was promised It was described and prophesied by the prophets in the Old Testament. What you have is you have it carrying over into the New Testament. So it wasn't done in the Old Testament with Israel's apostasy and and then being dispersed all over the world. God wasn't done with this idea that he had promised them a kingdom and it would come through David's seed. So the kingdom, number one, is promised to David's seed. We see it carrying right over into the New Testament. The king is born... Oh, the king is announced as at hand. You know? Do you remember who announced the king's arrival? Anyone remember? Any of our young scholars remember? Excuse me, guys, for saying young and all that kind of stuff. That's just the way I talk. I'm not politically correct. Uh, we have junior scholars here. Uh, you guys know who, who announced Jesus' arrival? John the, Baptist. John the Baptist, yes. And he said the kingdom is at hand. Jesus himself said the kingdom is at hand. And it was his cousin. Yep. How many months were they apart in birth? Six months. Yes. And the king, as we know, was rejected. And so he announced that the kingdom was at hand. They could have had it, but he was rejected. And so the kingdom was delayed. And then after this, Jesus announced his purpose to build his church. So since they rejected their king, the kingdom was delayed, and Jesus announced his purpose to build the church. He said, I will build my church. And so what you have here is you have this church age with these two parenthesis marks that was not prophesied in the Old Testament. This is a mystery church. That, that information was given to Paul. And Jesus said, I will build my church. And the kingdom, which is uh, right here, that was offered... Over here. But Jesus delayed it. The Jews rejected it. That's why they... It went right on across. Mm -hmm. The Jews, and probably John the Baptist, would have been the Paul of that figure. Yes. uh, But they rejected him. So... Yes. And you never would have had the church age. You still would have had the tribulation period right here. And you would have had the gospel preached all over the world. And still many, many, many saved out of that. But you never would have had the church age. Isn't that just mind-blowing to think about that? But that's, that's what has happened. And so uh, here you have in Luke chapter 1, the kingdom being carried over into the New Testament. All right. Do you want to look at more? You want to dig a little bit deeper? Say amen. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. We will. If you want to go home, say oh me. Okay. Okay. So, what you have is you have um, the picture of Jesus' kingdom was in the Old Testament in in type. Or in other words, the kingdom of David was a kingdom of, of war and fighting and conquest, right? David was a warring man with blood on his hands. And then you have his son, Solomon. And during Solomon's reign, it was a peaceful time, wasn't it? There weren't any wars or fighting. Um, God allowed Solomon to build his temple. So Solomon's reign is a picture of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. It will be a time of peace on this earth. But let's go back and let's look at several places in the book of Psalms. And we'll come forward from Psalms to Isaiah and then we'll stop there. So Psalm uh, 59.13. If you don't know it, the book of Psalms is just full of prophecy about the second coming of Christ. And the millennial kingdom. It's got prophecy just chock full with it. And they don't see it. Yep. Yep. And it's like Paul said. The natural man can't receive it. And you got to get saved in order to see it. And Jesus is the key to unlocking it. And, and understanding his first and his second coming. Yes. So Psalm 59 verse 13, and then thankfully we're hearing of Jewish people becoming believers, both in the land and here in our own state, you know. So Psalm chapter 59 and verse 13 says this, Consume them in wrath, consume them that they may not be, and let them know that God ruleth in Jacob, Unto the ends of the earth. Now, notice it says that God, God ruleth in Jacob. God himself. So, which is Israel. Jacob stands for Israel, right? When, when you read Jacob in the Psalms, it's talking about Israel. Yes, good point. Very good point. And um, to the ends of the earth, a global reign. Now, guys, is God ruling in Jacob right now? If you go over to the land of Israel, is Jehovah really ruling? And we know that Jesus is God, right? And just, just, let's, just say, let's just say Jehovah. Let's, let's leave out the revelation that Jesus was the God-man. Let's just say Jehovah. Do you think Jehovah is actually reigning in Jacob right now? You, you need to learn a little bit about what's really going on over there, because most of them are atheists. Okay, so it's not happening right now. And do you think that God is reigning to the ends of the earth? My, no, he's not. Um, for example, I'll, I'll leave the examples out so we can get through this. Yes, Paul said Satan is the prince of the air right now. He's the god of this world. So we got principalities and powers in high places. It's not right now. Okay, I think that's established. Let's continue to another verse in the Psalms, Psalm, Psalm one twenty-two, verse five. Psalm one twenty-two, verse five. I guess what I, you know, what I I'm trying to do. Sometimes I might be beating a dead horse, as the expression goes. What I'm trying to do is to just tell you, like, a, this is what the Bible says, and try to convince you from the Bible. Even though I know we all believe the same thing here. But uh, there are, are younger scholars here that are learning. And I want you to get this impression. It's not just because the preacher says it. I don't believe it because Pastor John says it. Believe it because it's what the Bible says. And I want to point there and see you know, do you see it? Keep reading it till you see it. Keep reading it till you see it. And until uh, it becomes clear. And it's what the Word of God says, it's not what some pastor says that's important. Uh, So verse 5, For there are set thrones of judgment. Now notice thrones, plural. Thrones of judgment, plural. Remember back in Revelation, I emphasized that there were thrones, plural, and people ruling upon those thrones, plural. Well, we see it here too. Thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Now, From our study in the Word of God, we know that there are multiple thrones in the Millennial Kingdom. There are the twelve apostles who are ruling over the twelve tribes of Israel in the land. And there there are church-age saints, us, during this time, this period that we live in right now. Those who who, uh, suffer for Christ during this time and who serve Him, He says that they will reign with Me. If you suffer with me, you, you will reign with me, Jesus said. And so there will be church-age saints ruling over cities during the Millennial Kingdom. And maybe somebody here will be over the city of Athens. Uh, maybe somebody will be over the city of Columbus. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. We'll, and we'll straighten Athens out. <laughs> and then... Um, now, now that's that's a reward given out at the judgment seat of Christ. So that's not just given to anybody, but uh, so we can imagine a lot of faithful preachers uh, ruling over cities. And and it's not just it's not just I don't believe limited to men, but uh, we won't go there right now. Tribulation saints who are martyred and you know therefore have been beheaded. Jesus said they will reign with him. So there are the multiple thrones of the 12 apostles and then there are saints from the church age and saints from the tribulation reigning during this time all right one more psalm 132 verse 11 psalm 132 verse 11 we'll just look at a couple more and and have a word of prayer before we're dismissed psalm 132 verse 11 now these are prophecies yet to be fulfilled and so it's either they're going to be fulfilled or God's word you know, is not true. And I know that God's word is true. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. Now, we read things and we just pass over them so quickly. The Lord... Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Jehovah of the Old Testament. Jehovah says, I swear in truth unto David. And, and he says, I will not turn from it. When God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. God's a good heavenly father. There are bad heavenly fa- There are bad earthly fathers and they say they're going to do something and they don't do it. And they let children down. Right. And then, you know, here, any earthly father is going to let children down from time to time. And he's going to grow up and, he, and, and the children are going to grow up. And if he if he uh, spends some time with them, he'll say to them, learn from the mistakes that I made. and Don't make the same mistakes that I made. A wise father will do that. But God's a, a loving heavenly father. And when he says he's going to do something and he don't make any mistakes, he's going to do it. But notice what he says of the fruit of thy body will You sit upon the throne? Is that what he says? You, David? No. Jehovah says, I will sit upon the throne. And we know from the New Testament, it's Jesus. So who is Jesus? Jesus is Jehovah. Show that to a Jehovah's Witness. He said, I will sit upon the throne. It's Jesus. Jesus is Jehovah of the Old Testament. So what you have here is, you have these promises Uh, given, and uh, given prophetically in the Psalms, let's look at one more, Isaiah. Just keep going to the right. You'll come past Proverbs. You'll come to Isaiah there. Proverbs, Song of Solomon. Then Isaiah chapter 11. Now, I, I come to this verse as we close because... Well, we'll look at this one and one more, because I want you to see that we're talking about something that's yet future. It is not talking about the church age. So what the uh, Anglicans and the Church of England and the Catholics and some of the Protestant reformers have done, uh, thankfully the Presbyterians got it right. But what they've done is they've spiritualized this and you just can't. Spiritualize it. It's yet to be done. It's yet future. And it's not happening right now. That's my point. Isaiah 11 verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. We know who that is. Yeah. Capital B. That's Christ. Okay. And then look at verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, now again we know that's Christ, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, to it shall the Gentiles, to it the the ensign, the sign. The, The Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Remember, it's a Sabbath rest. His rest shall be glorious. Do you think we're seeing a glorious rest right now? My, no, we're not. And even in heaven, there's still yet to be a battle and Satan kicked out. A, you know, There's still going to be a rebellion in heaven yet uh, during the, that midpoint of the tribulation. So his rest will be glorious. Now in the context, it's clear it's talking about Israel being restored and Jesus providing a glorious rest to his people. But do you know that Paul quotes verse 11 in the book of Romans? He quotes it and uh, he talks about in verse 11, you'll see that the Lord will... Come and will bless uh, the Gentiles. Verse 10, rather, I'm sorry. The Gentiles will seek the Lord. So Paul quotes that in support of his own ministry to the Gentiles. But he's taking something and applying it to himself in his current situation that doctrinally applies to Israel. Which is interesting. And it wasn't the only time Paul's ever done that. Paul would use anything from the Old Testament and lift it sometimes dispensationally out of its setting to use it to just apply... Uh, proof texts and weight to his argument. that, And all he was saying is he was just saying, see, God is interested in the Gentiles. That's all Paul was saying. God wants to cause the Gentiles to seek him. All right, now, we better get back to our main point lest we uh, lose focus, lose sight of what we're actually saying. But it should go without saying in this church that we believe in a, futural, a future literal kingdom of Christ on this earth. That should go without saying. Every preacher you've ever heard preach from this pulpit, I think, has said the same thing. Or from the pulpit in Racine. Said the same thing. It should go without saying, but, just in case that we have some who may doubt that it's futuristic, or just in case that future generations coming up Uh, may not know this and learn this. We keep teaching and preaching the truth. And for our own sakes, it just becomes clearer and clearer to us as we study it. But if you doubt it at all, if you doubt that this may be something that's already accomplished spiritually, and the kingdom is now, and we're bringing in the kingdom now, all that nonsense, if you doubt that, look at Jeremiah 31. We'll stop here. So when you're studying the Bible, you have to rightly divide the word of truth. In other words, you have to put it where it belongs. We're going to read Jeremiah 31, and let's see if we can put it in the church age. Because you've got to rightly divide it. Every verse, every chapter in the Bible can be put into one place or another. It could be put back here in the age of conscience. It could be put back here in the age of human government. It could be placed here uh, in the age of, of the law. And uh, the the kingdom, uh, or or the, the church age, or the, the millennial, or the tribulation period, or the millennial kingdom. Everything you read in the Bible will plug in there somewhere, and you have to rightly divide the word of truth, or else uh, you'll just mix the whole thing up like a like a blender. Yep. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, we've got three right now. And that's what people do. They just throw all the Bible into a blender and then hit you know, hit the button. No, you can't do that. And throw out everything. Yeah, that's really what they do, isn't it? Yeah. They, they cherry pick what they do like, and then they throw out everything that they don't like. But Lord knows, I'm kind of guilty of doing that sometimes. Uh, and then he calls me on it, you know. <clears throat> um, but anyways, uh, Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Notice this. Now let's see if we can plug this into the church age. And, uh, the point I'm getting at is the only place it'll plug in is in the millennial kingdom. Verse 31, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. All right. Just reading that we already understand that Isaiah is not talking about something that was currently happening or even something in the past. But he's talking about something that was yet future from his standing point. The days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, that's not us, obviously. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, the age of the patriarchs, the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, Exodus 20, which my covenant they break, although I wasn't husband. Unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be, future, the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. You say, what days? After these days right here, and after the tribulation period. It would have just been the tribulation period had it not been the for the church age. But after those days I will make this covenant, saith the Lord, I will put my law... In their inward parts, the Jewish people, and right in their hearts, and will be their God. He's not right now, only to those that are saved and trusting Jesus. Will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now they're still His chosen nation, but as far as His people, you know, the 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 remnant. Yes, there is a remnant today, but not. All of, you know, Most of Israel is the apostate Israel. They shall be my people. And look at this. Tell me that you can put this into the church age. I don't know how you'd get it in there. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. All right. So during this time, wherever this verse fits in, witnessing is not allowed. Do you see that it's not necessary because they all know the Lord. Now, like I've said before, and you've heard me say it tongue in cheek, Christians today act like this verse applies to them. Like witnessing is not allowed. And it's not like Isaac Watts said in his hymn. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the lamb? And shall I blush? Shall I be embarrassed to speak his name? Or to own his cause, is what Isaac was saying, shall I? But there's a lot of Christians uh, that are ashamed to speak about Christ, and they think it's illegal to witness. (laughs) And you're not allowed. But uh, they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now, I think that's pretty heavy uh, and convincing truth. Um. That that has no application whatsoever to the Gentiles. What we just read there. Yes, the men had talked about it in the men's Bible study. Yes, and it it includes every Jew that's alive at that time during that millennial kingdom. Uh, the laws written in their hearts, and there will be no witnessing allowed. So, folks, I I, I hope that you can say tonight that what Pastor John is saying about rightly dividing the word of truth and that all of the Bible is for us, but it's not all written to us. Sometimes we're reading other people's mail. But you can get a blessing out of it all. And it's all written for your learning and your admonition. But it's not all to us. Some of it plugs in different places. I hope now you can see it's not just what he's saying. It's not just his perspective or his point of view. That you, you're it's It's the Bible. That's clearly what the Bible is saying. So, um... Yes. Good point. Brother Dave said that's why people say that all Jews will be saved right now, basically. Yes. And, And that would be a good example of taking something that doesn't belong in our age and putting it in our age. Yep. So, uh... Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then with people who disagree with me, I'm always, I am very careful to not get into an argument with people, because uh, I've learned this: if you just show them, hey, he's actually a pretty nice guy, then you talk with them, and after a while, they'll say, "No, why do you believe what you believe?" I've learned that. Lived long enough. So arguing, you never. What do? You, what do they say? You never accomplish anything in an argument. So, yes, and 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 like what I think we need to just say is, what do you believe about the gospel? Um, what do you believe about Jesus? Like, uh, you know, brother uh, uh, Aaron Young, like he said, I think that's pretty good, pretty good advice. And if you believe the same thing about the gospel and you believe the same thing about Jesus, you can find some common ground to get along there. And so on, but I certainly want—I wouldn't let someone who believes differently than this. I wouldn't let them teach in our church. Uh, but uh, with a with a church that was maybe I've been pastoring them for 15, 20 years, I would let a Muslim imam come in and and teach, just so you know you, you could hear what they actually say from their own mouths. But if you got a strong congregation, they're not going to be duped by that, anyways. But uh, but anyways, let's pray. Our heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. For your people here tonight, and uh, Lord, for the Word of God, and that our faith, it does not rest on what I believe and what I teach, or what Baptist preachers have believed and taught before me, and what they've taught to me, that my faith rests on the Word of God. And we pray for further understanding and further light, and Lord, that we would handle this Word of God as if we're just children, and uh, we just need you to teach us. And show us the way. And Lord, help us. Lord, uh, as we talk with other people about the Bible and we have these conversations, help us just to be real and sincere about what we understand from the Bible, but not to, not to, be, uh, not to behave in such a way where we might uh, dishonor Christ with our, with our lives. Because I know, Lord, that knowledge puffs up. And knowledge can make us proud, even biblical knowledge. Help us, Lord, to keep a sweet spirit, to keep a cool head and a warm heart, and to, to, to be witnesses for you. Lord, help us to serve someone this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, Men's Bible Study, 10 a.m. We're going to switch it to 10 a.m. because Pam can't be there. Is that okay with you? Well, Pam is sick, and she's not going to be able to be there.